Hi there. You're about to listen to the Michael Files podcast. I'm your host, Michael Doherty. I'm a blogger, a podcaster, and author of a unique interpretation of the I Ching. Because of my bizarre childhood, I needed answers, and I investigated teachings both Western and Eastern until I found answers that worked for me. In these podcasts, and in my writings and my blogs, I want to share some of those insights with you, in the hope that they will be of help to you in navigating this strange thing called life. You may find ideas and insights that will help you on your journey. So, on to today's episode. Hi there, this is Mike Doherty again, and it was suggested that I might record a series of podcasts talking about the challenges facing humanity and what we can do about overcoming them. I'm going to introduce a list of what I believe are the most important challenges that we face. There's no doubt that the world is in a mess. In almost every aspect of life, we face problems. And these problems are more severe than ever before. In fact, they are so severe and so extreme that the very future of humanity itself is at stake. But I think we need to understand why we're facing these challenges if we've got any hope at all of turning things round. So, first of all, let's see if we can identify the problems and then see whether we can find any common threads which might suggest a way through. There are going to be two lists, really, because we need to separate them. Because some of the problems that we face, some of the challenges that we face, are those that have been caused by us, basically. Especially since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, some, what, 250 years ago, perhaps. On the other hand, there are possible potential natural catastrophes over which really we've got little or no control. I will also be blogging and podcasting on each of these challenges so that uh, they'll be there in writing on my blog and also in podcast form, which means that uh, if you want to, you can download them. Now, some of these challenges are going to fit into both categories. They're going to fit into the category of things that we have caused and which we may be able to do something about. And the other category, which is the natural catastrophes, about which we probably won't be able to do anything. But who knows? So, first of all, let's consider the human ones, the ones that we've caused. And I think number one, on my list anyway, has got to be global warming. I think that this is perhaps the most pressing problem facing us. And unless we solve this one, we won't need to bother about any of the others because it will be all over anyway. Now, the climate deniers 
will tell you that there is a natural cycle of climate change from hot desert type conditions or hot wet conditions to ice ages. Now, while this is true, that there have been ups and downs in the climate over the history of the planet Earth, there is no doubt at all that the current warming of the climate is made worse or even caused by human activity. I think it's very important here to clarify the difference between climate and weather because there are many misunderstandings caused by people not realising what the difference between these two really is. Weather is a local thing. Climate is global. I think that's probably the simplest explanation. Anyway, there'll be more on this when I do the individual podcasts on the separate challenges. Second on my list is the collapse of the ecosystem. If we look at a photograph of the Earth from, <clears throat> from space, we see that there's this massive Earth and around it is this very, very thin, almost onion skin of atmosphere. It's only about probably 50 miles high. And life exists within this tiny, narrow covering of the earth. And it also exists down to about seven miles beneath the surface of the ocean. And these two things, the atmosphere and the oceans, are where life happens. That is the ecosystem. And it's an incredibly interdependent system that we are wrecking, to be honest. Now, the collapse of this ecosystem uh, will not only be caused by global warming, but also by our land management. By that I mean the deforestation, the conversion of wetlands and grasslands into agriculture. Now, there, we've got to try and understand why this is happening. And there can be two reasons. One can be that the local indigenous population needs to grow food in order to stop themselves and their families from starving. And the other is the corporations that exploit natural resources. But I'll be talking about that more later. Then there's the practice of monoculture. Now, this is where normally, again, corporations plant and harvest a single crop over a vast area of land. Now, this has got a number of effects, a number of results. One of them is that, the, for, for, for the time being anyway, the soil is producing much greater yields of the crop. But it's only doing that because of artificial fertilizers that are being applied to the soil. And one of the other problems with monoculture is that there is a loss of natural predators of pests. We need natural predators to control pests. Note, I don't say to destroy them. In a balanced system, we cannot destroy 
naturally occurring pests, but they can be controlled. And this is what nature's all about. It's all about maintaining a balance between two extremes. So we've got this monoculture, which needs artificial fertilizers to produce the bumper crops. It also needs pesticides and herbicides. For example, I was reading that around the world, the use of pesticides and herbicides, a quarter of the planet's use of these artificial controls of pests are used in the cotton industry. I was quite amazed when I first came across that. Next on my list to consider is that all over the world there is a movement towards extremes in politics. There's a move towards the right wing in politics. Let's be frank here, it's a move towards fascism and total control of the population by a very small elite of the mega-rich. Some people call it the 1%. Actually, it's far, far smaller than that. It's about 0.01% of the world population control the vast majority of the wealth and resources of the planet. Now, even in countries which have got a political system that's based upon checks and balances, where you've got a left-wing party and a right-wing party. In America, for example, we've got the Democrats, which used to be a left-wing party, and we've got the Republicans, that used to be a right-wing party. Uh, we've got the same thing in the UK, when we consider the Labour Party versus the Conservative Party or the Tory Party. But what's been happening, particularly over the last 30 or 40 years, is that both of these extremes have been moving to the right. Now, what does that mean? It means that people are being exploited. It means that taxes on the rich are being reduced so that they become more wealthy. And this is being paid for by cutting back on social welfare programs. Things like uh, unemployment benefits, um, we've got a situation in America where Walmart, for example, the vast majority of the people who work in Walmart stores receive food stamps because the wages that they're being paid are insufficient for them to live without assistance from the state. Now, what this means is that the taxpayer is paying Walmart to keep their employees underpaid. It's a subsidy from the government, which is actually a subsidy from the taxpayer. And here we have the Walmart family, who are among the richest people in the world. And this is the problem. The political structures are moving to the right. In England, for example, in Britain, the Labour Party moved so far to the right that it became more right-wing than the Tory party used to be. But then again, the Tory party has moved further to the right, towards the extreme. We can see this happening in most, if not all, of the developed countries. Now, this leads on to the next item on our list. The ever-growing income gap between those at the top, and I'm including here not just the elite, but the CEOs of corporations and 
the difference between their income and the income of the people who actually produce the goods at the end of the day. Because the, the senior people in corporations are not the people who are actually producing the goods that provide the income for the corporation. These are the workers. Now this income gap is becoming so serious that one billionaire actually addressed a group of wealthy elite and warned them that unless we did something about this income gap that's growing and growing, he said, they will be coming at us with pitchforks. In other words, here was one of their number who was aware of the fact that if things get to a real extreme, there's going to be a revolution. This income gap is caused by capitalism. Now, capitalism, in the way I'm using the word, is the profit motive which governs all decisions made within corporations. It's all based on the bottom line. The accountants who are normally now in charge of these corporations are looking at the bottom line, the profit figure at the end of each financial period. It used to be a year, but now it's quarters. And also, this does mean that there is a lack of investment in the future. And there's a difference here between the Western and Eastern approach. From a Western point of view, most corporations base the fact that they will invest, providing they can get a return on that investment, within about five years, at most. Most of the Eastern companies work on a 20 or 30 year period of investment. And this leads to a much more stable manufacturing base. This problem of the exploitation of the working class, if you like, although I don't like the word class, is perhaps best demonstrated in the way that the capitalist corporations asset strip companies and countries, especially the developing countries. And this ability of the corporations and governments to asset strip other countries particularly, is aided by the military-industrial complex, which is the covering term for all the major corporations in the defence industry, in the manufacturing industry. And also, this military-industrial complex is able to offer protection to the wealthy. And in, in pursuit of these ends, we've got the use of both visible, open, overt methods and secret, covert methods of taking down democratically elected governments if their policies are not in agreement with those of the governments and corporations who actually rule the world. Now, this is an amazingly complex system that, that does this. It's achieved through the use of the military, the intelligence services, like the CIA, like the MI5, MI6 in the UK, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and also the central banks of each country. Now, note here that the central banks of each country are not part of government. 
They are private businesses, accountable to just the few families who have been in control of banking in the world since the 1760s. I'm talking here of people like the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers. Okay, what comes next on the list? Well, I want to sum this up and I'll just briefly go through the remaining things that I'll be talking about. And one of those is the problem of nuclear weapons, which I'll go into in much greater detail. There's also Big Pharma. By that I mean the corporations, the pharmaceutical companies that control the production, distribution and costs of medications. Then we've got the problem of antibiotic-resistant diseases. I remember in my childhood, which was partly before the Second World War, there were no antibiotics. People who caught infectious diseases didn't stand much chance of, of recovering from them. Things that we just don't really think about now as being dangerous were life-threatening. There's the potential problem of pandemics where a, an epidemic, a single infection, perhaps like swine flu, can spread across the whole world. And then I'll be talking about the problems that are not caused by us and about which we probably aren't going to be able to do much, if anything. And included in these will be things like tsunamis caused by earthquakes under the sea, tsunamis caused by undersea collapses like is possible uh, on the islands of Hawaii. There's the possibility of asteroid impacts. There's a possibility of coronary, sorry, corona discharges from the sun, which if they hit the earth, which is a pretty small possibility, but nevertheless exists, if it hit the earth, um, it could wipe out the, the ozone layer which is the only thing protecting us from the deadly radiation from space. And also, we would have to consider the supervolcanoes. We have them around the world, and if a supervolcano goes off, then we are into what can be compared to a very, very severe nuclear winter, where there is so much dust and rock and whatever thrown up into the atmosphere that the sunlight is blocked out for decades, if not centuries. So, this may sound fairly gloomy overall, but uh, unless we are prepared to face the reality that we live in, we're not going to be able to do anything about it. I look forward to speaking to you again and going into greater detail about these topics. And if there's anything you'd like me to talk about, you can always leave me a message on my website. And for the time being, I wish you well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Microfiles podcast. I hope it has been of help to you. If it has been of use, I'd really appreciate feedback. You can find out more about me and what I do on my website, the Microfiles. Com, and you can search for the microfiles on social media. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye for now, and I wish you well. <laughs>